Welcome back to the podcast for winners. I'm James. This is my co-host, Zach. And on this week's episode, we have a very special guest, another one of our good buddies, a fellow ONU alum and a environmental biology consultant, I believe. He is with us on this week's episode to talk about the effects of dams on your local river ecosystems. So hang around and uh, we'll be right back. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Americans play to win all the time. Tell for a man lost and laugh. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Podcast for Winners. I'm here with my co-host James, and we have a very special guest today, one of our other friends from undergraduate at Ohio Northern University, our resident biology expert, Rody. <laughs> Not an expert, he wins to that, but Rody does know what he's Strong talking words. about. <laughs> he, he just finished getting his uh, master's in biology, specializing in some type of bacterial river ecology for his thesis, and now he works for an environmental and engineering consulting company where they do, uh, I believe, some kind of like environmental watchdog type stuff. Maybe that's the right way to put it. Maybe not. Um, but we're going to let Rody introduce himself and kind of tell you a little bit about what it is that he does, what he's interested in, and what he's going to talk about here today with us. So, Rody, yeah, take it away. Thanks for the intro. I feel I feel very special. You should. Always you're a you're winner. <laughs> yeah, so, only winners. Uh, only winners. So yeah, so I work for an environmental consulting firm, and I specifically work in the assessment and remediation area. So uh, if you have some sort of industrial spill or some kind of violation, we help come in and clean it up. And I work on the data side of it. So I help manage all the data sets, get like project managers and stuff there, like tables and comparing it to comparing like different uh results to like state criteria and stuff like that um but anyway so i got my start at ohio northern with you guys back in 2012 um i originally was a biochemistry major because i had no clue what i wanted to do and then i took a biology class where teachers said that we were going to dissect owl pellets and while we never did that it's kind of what re-sparked my interest in biology that I had from a young age. Um, I switched my major, um, and from there I got involved in doing a lot of research uh, with Dr. Uh, Dr. Verb, and that kind of led me down the path where I am now. So I uh, got my bachelor's in environmental and field biology, and then I went to Ball State where I got my master's in biology. I did a thesis on uh, the effects of nutrients and organic matter on bacterial community structure, in a lake in California. It was awesome. I got to live in the woods for a few months. Um, and then graduated and now I'm working for this company. Um, and I'm looking to pursue a PhD here soon. And what we're going to talk about today is a, <clears throat> a topic of interest that uh, I'm interested in pursuing at the higher level. And it stems from some work that I did at ONU um, that I got looped in on. So, yeah. Cool. So this is just a question off the top of my head, but with your firm, what are some of the, uh, with the firm you work for now, what are some of the most like frequent issues that you guys come across in terms of um, mediation and, um, you know, cleaning up a mess? You guys see like a lot of like gas stations or like 
because uh, I know they hold their tanks underground. Because yeah, I had a, uh, a a friend of mine whose father does similar work, and they said they do a crap ton of gas stations that just never had their never did maintenance on their tanks. Mm-hmm. So that was like a main source of their business. So what do you guys what do you guys see a lot <laughs> see a lot of? Um, so it's kind of a wide variety of things. Uh, a lot of it's wastewater from uh, different treatment plants. So I can't name any names for any clients, but yeah. um, we have a few oil refineries that we uh, work for. So they have a lot of both water, air, soil, all that kind of stuff. Um, it's keeping them in compliance. And there's also a few um, places we look at where it's shut down plants like that are no, no longer in production. And like they're abandoned sites, and if that land wants yeah. to be used again, we have to check to make sure that um, they're under attainment. So they're they're under the certain levels for uh, different compounds and other harmful chemicals. Um, and then there's a few other. It's kind of a wide variety. We also do uh, some like let's say a real estate developer buys a certain piece of land. A lot of the time, I'm not a hundred percent sure on the exact process of it. But we go in and they say, hey, can you just test all of the, the main things that we have to worry about as a real estate company? And it's called like yeah. a phase one investigation. And for the most part, go in, do an assessment, give them the results and be like, all right, you guys are good. And if they're not uh, in code with what comes back, then they'll go to like phase two, which is starting the cleanup process. So, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. So that kind of... Uh... So pe- people that could violate the law hire you guys because it's better that you find it than the federal government finds it and then they can fix the problem. Is that kind of how that yes, works for the most part? Yes, or people or. who have violated the law have been caught and have to fix said okay. issues. So there's a few projects I'm on that I am under like like all of my I have to save all of my communications for because all all aspects of it are under like legal uh there's legal ramifications of everything so we had to save like scraps of paper and stuff like that do just like some lawsuits and things like that not against us but against like maybe a company we're working for so cool so you guys will snitch on people if they're not that's nice no doubt dude i snitch (laughs) hey it's it's a problem (laughs) it is I, i can say coming from uh that that oil and gas background man the no there was this Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, like, the, all the, I don't know what the exact date would be, but pre-90s, we'll say, like, the amount of just, like, wellheads and stuff that are lost. Like, there's thousand-foot deep holes in the ground that people just don't know <laughs> where they exist and where they are, and they're all over the place, and it's a disaster. Yeah, Everybody there's a sto- <laughs> there's a story maybe a year and a half, two years ago, and I think uh, Northrop was just dumping paint in a hole behind one of their factories. <laughs> yeah. That caught. is insane. Yeah. This is like the, like what third largest defense contractor in the United States. Just nice. dump it in a hole. That might be more of the crazy. That's some crazy shit. Yeah. That's, but yeah. So, um, what's our main topic of conversation today? I heard you've got some damn issues. Oh, got a lot of damn issues. So, I, got uh, damn, I got a lot of damn puns today. I'm not going to lie. But I don't know if I'm please know. unleash all of them. I've been getting yeah. way too... Quarantine's made me turn to puns for coping, so yeah. I'm ready this for po- it. This podcast coming up also made me start watching the Angry Beavers again. 
because their house was freaking dope. If you haven't seen that cartoon, I don't think I have. I'm looking at it. I have not watched the Angry Beavers in that like 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I forgot about Angry Beavers. Yeah. So. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. So yeah, I'll get, I'll get started a little bit. So uh, my interest in Lowhead Dam started uh, in undergrad and that worked with Dr. Verb. Um, so the way that the uh, the major works at ONU that I did is that there's one semester usually taken your junior year in the fall. It's called field semester. And it's three week long classes for the entirety, entirety of the semester, but you're off campus for I think 60, 70% of the semester. So obviously I couldn't play football and do that semester. Um, so I did it after our senior year for a little victory lap, but because I wasn't able to go on that verb kind of looped me in on some, uh, local research that they were starting to do and uh, I think it was our sophomore year he said hey do you want to kind of take the lead on this and that's how we kind of got here we haven't published anything yet but we're working on it right now to try to get a paper of some of our uh, preliminary findings out so shout out to ONU the research opportunities yeah. they gave me but let's get into it so Lowhead dams when you think of dams you've got those huge the Hoover Dam like the huge ones out west um, and unfortunately, that's not what we're talking about today. Uh, we're talking about lowhead dams. Um, so there are a variety of definitions, but generally they're defined as constructed barriers in a river that are between one and 15 feet in height. Um, and some, ex some definitions extend that up to 25 feet, um, but there's not a whole lot of difference between the two. Um, you know, usually it's some kind of like concrete barrier. And this is what you see like in a river, you see like those, that little drop off where the water's smooth coming over and then it's kind of roiling, kind of roiling yeah. and boiling. Um, so yeah, so these are created for like a number of issues in the past. You know, some places use them for flood control, some for a water supply, you know, irrigation, recreation. Uh, some people use them to block up the water so that, you know, their, uh, their livestock has somewhere to, to, as a water source. So, you know, a lot of different uh, purposes for them. And most of the ones in the United States were built uh, between 1950 and 1970. Um, and so the uses that they were originally built for, some of them are not used for those, uh, those purposes anymore. Um, so in the last 25 years or so, there's been increased uh, you know, public interest in removing them. Uh, for a variety of reasons, and so luckily there's a growing uh, a growing set of of data and research that's being done with them. But you know, there's there's a lot more that can be done. So, so we're talking about today. I'm not sure if you guys have any questions before I keep just going. I feel um, weird about rambling. <laughs> <laughs> no, ramble as much. But uh, so, have you ever been to Chagrin Falls? Yeah. So. I don't know if you're familiar, how familiar you are with it. Um, so there's like the big falls on one side, like where the popcorn shop is. Mm -hmm. And then on the other side, <clears throat> there's kind of like, I guess a low head dam situation, but yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure uh, exactly. If it counts. What, if it I counts, think, but I think I know what you're talking about and I'm almost, I'm pretty sure that is a lowhead dam. I, I googled Chagrin Falls Dam, and yeah. if I remember correctly, there's at least one or two there. 
Yeah, because so, they're, they're like they're just, everywhere. They are everywhere. Yeah. Um, yeah, it looks pretty useless. I mean, <laughs> I've been there. A, it's a town over, so I'm there. I was there a lot when I lived back home, and uh, yeah, it didn't seem to be serving much purpose. But. No, yeah. So <laughs> uh, that's actually something I was going to talk about today. But they, I mean, like they're a huge issue ecologically. Um, they really fragment the herbs really, really badly. Um, but one of the biggest pushbacks on removing them besides like money and stuff like that is either, well, it's been there my whole life. I don't want that mm -hmm. damn to go because I'm used to it being there or aesthetic reasons. So one of the reasons yeah, they're, they've been built is to uh, maintain water levels during dry seasons. And so even if they're not serving a purpose, even as a matter like ecologically or service wise, if that river dries up, a lot of city councils would be like, yeah, but we don't want a river to dry up or we don't want the water level to drop like during the hot summer months or something. So they keep them in even if they're causing issues. So I'm pretty yeah. sure there's exactly that where I was going to school at. They have this like nice little creek that's within the exact same like plus or minus five feet of water level at all times. And there's like a big mm -hmm. reservoir by it and like a dam and stuff. And everyone goes and frolics there. Including, including during quarantine, you know, nobody social distancing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what is quarantine? <laughs> hey, what is? Oh, my gosh. I've been in this little Minneapolis apartment for... Yeah. Oh, six months now. <laughs> oh, tell me about it. <laughs> oh, I mean, you're in D.C., so, I mean, they're outside of D.C., so I can only imagine, man. It's awful. Oh, what? boy. Anyway, back to these dams. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so I, there, there's a variety of reasons, like I said, like there's public interest in them being removed because, you know, I feel like overall, this is purely conjecture. As a society, like people are looking at like save the earth, like overall our society's become more environmentalist, but also there's reasons outside of that. So first of all, like I said earlier, a lot of these dams were built in the 1950s through the 1970s and their lifespan like construction wise is only about 50 years. So we're really starting to run out of their effective use. And a lot of them are breaking down. A lot of them are kind of dangerous to even have. So that's another one of the reasons that people are trying to start getting them out. And so that's why I think it was like 95 or so. Don't quote me on that year is when like public interest and uh, like governmental interests started to increase in actually taking them out. Um, and they're also super dangerous. Um, <laughs> a lot yeah. of people die and then not to laugh about that that's a bad way to introduce that but they're like they're super dangerous so like you laugh at laugh at death right <laughs> come and get me um but yeah so uh they're often called the drowning machine because oh, yeah right so <laughs> so the way that the, the dam is constructed is is the whole point of it is that you block the, the river and then that creates this big pool of water, like a real deep pool of water just upstream of it, and then also just downstream of it. And so people sometimes use them as swimming holes, and they're safe upstream, but if you get pulled over and into that, into that waterfall, it can be yeah. near inescapable. So, like, especially it's, it can be really dangerous for, like, kayakers and boaters because they see it, and sometimes the drop's only a few feet. Um, and it looks super smooth, like, oh, there'll be a quick drop, and I'll just keep going on my way. It's not a big deal. Right. Um, and then they do, like, a five-foot drop, and they don't stick the landing, or the force of the fall is too much. 
and they get sucked under and it's 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 just really dangerous like i'm trying to think of the numbers what i have it right here so over 400 people have died at low head dam since the 1950s and that oh, doesn't God, sound like a that doesn't sound like a lot i mean it's still a lot kind of sounds with, like a lot right <laughs> with half of those so those <laughs> it's like half those deaths have occurred in the past like 15 or 20 years um but there's no agency that keeps track of the actual number. And so estimates say that probably like three to 5,000 people have actually died in them in, ever since they Damn. started. Right? <laughs> okay, I see. So I've actually... <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to be laughing at that. <laughs> I know, it's just too good. Anyway... Rest in peace to those victims, but still, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's a good pun. <laughs> but uh, what were you saying, Zach? I'm sorry. Well, I was saying, so I just pulled up a picture because I've like never thought about how the flow of water over a dam works before. Mm -hmm. Some might say I know a little bit about fluid mechanics, so now I'm curious. I'm like looking at this thing, <laughs> and it almost looks like uh, kind of the way it works is almost something similar to maybe like a riptide in an ocean or something, so it's like... Exactly. Yeah. You're yeah. just driving your kayak into like a level five rapid that you can't get out of. Yeah, the idea, but it's it's sneaky. Huh, interesting. And it's and it's like, it's like the crazy thing is like there's no like national standard for how to mark these things or anything, which is I mean yeah. it's not that surprising. But so some places won't have them marked at all. Some places will, but the signage is outdated. You know, it, it can just be it's not marked well. It can be dangerous. You know. You're fishing. Yeah, I, gotcha. I can see. In. I can see how this looks really harmless. Right. They're also they're really popular areas for for fishing in rivers because they have that that deeper pool on both ends. Mm, so yeah. there's going to be bigger fish there because there's more water there, less movement. Right. So they're attractive as a recreational spot, which is terrifying. So you know. Yeah. We have a bunch of these in Ohio, apparently. <laughs> oh, yeah. There was um, yeah. there was one that was just removed in Cuyahoga Valley National Park. Yeah. They've been talking about it for like 10, 15 years, and they finally removed it like two months ago, I want to say. Um, and that's in like the Brexville area, so I haven't been mm -hmm. home yet to see it, but I'm pretty excited to, to check it out. So, so yeah, people are they're, yeah. They're trying to remove them because, you know, dangerous – they're all breaking down anyway. They don't really serve any purpose for the most part. So what happens if they fail naturally? What what um what are the implications of that? Um it, there's I'm not sure. Like I don't know about if it makes them any safer or it makes any more dangerous, like because the water flow changes. Um I know that I don't know if they really have a propensity to like fully fail. So if they do okay. fail, it's probably going to be like one part of it falling out. And then there's just an area where more water rushes through on one spot yeah. than the other. Um, okay. So it, they're not big enough to have like some type of catastrophic failure, like, no, like no, a I, get breaking in a hurricane or something. Yeah. Like I'm sure there's some way, but I like, yeah. I, as far as I've heard, it's usually like one baffle goes out or like one part, blows out a little bit and then the sediment goes through that area, but that's about it. Okay. So yeah. So but, um, 
obviously, uh, I was just going to say, like, obviously outside of, uh, you know, public interest and safety and stuff like that, the biggest reason I'm interested in them is for the, like, first of all, the ecological effects of having the dams in the rivers, and then what are the ecological effects of removing them? Um, so I thought I was going to, a good way to do this is talk about the effect that the dams have, uh, like, on the rivers and on the community itself, and then what happens once we actually remove them, and, like, what we do and do not know uh, right now. Does that sound good to you guys? That yeah, sounds great. This is, this is your show, Rudy. Yeah. Let it ride. <laughs> Always. Ride the light. <laughs> I'm coughing. It's not the Rona, so we're good. So good. this might be the least professional of all your podcasts, but it's fine. Yeah, professional, professional. Doesn't matter. This podcast is for winners, and sometimes that involves professionals, and sometimes it doesn't. Bless. Indeed. All right, so I figured let's go into a basic rundown of the ecology of lowhead dams. So obviously when you put a dam in the river, it blocks the flow of the water with that physical barrier, and it creates the pools of water directly upstream and downstream of the dam. And so this has an effect on like the physical chemical properties of the river, and then downstream it affects the flora and fauna in the river. Um, and so some of these include disrupting the natural flow regime of the water, uh, blocking the passage uh, through the river for like fish and other, uh, other animals uh, and fragmentation of uh, the habitat for uh, any individuals that might live in that river. And this can cause a shift um, in the aquatic community uh, away from what like a natural river would be. So the first one I mentioned is probably one of the best known um, is that it's a barrier to organism. It's a barrier, bar geez, barrier to <laughs> organisms. Um, so it's that water's come over the top of the dam and, you know, it's often way too high and the water's flowing way too fast for anything to maybe swim up it. Um, and this can be a pretty big issue. Salmon are probably the biggest example people know about this, but there's a number of fish that are migratory and move upstream uh, against the current of the water to spawn. Um, and so if you have dams in place, uh, if they're not constructed properly, or even if they are constructed properly, they can uh, create a huge barrier for um, those fish to get through, and then it can really affect the populations of those fish. So, like, I'm not sure if you've ever seen uh, the the video of the the salmon shoot out west. I'm not sure where it is, but they've got a huge dam out there that they can't uh, they they can't uh, destroy. They can't remove because it's like actually performing a service, and so they have this big tube that mm -hmm. they capture the salmon and then stick them in there and shoot them. Oh, I think the, I've actually seen I, that. I think I've seen yeah. that too. Yeah. Hey, Jamie, can you pull that up? <laughs> oh, sorry. Still don't have a Jamie yet. <laughs> Someday. Someday. I'm going to say that Ethan every week uh, until, <laughs> until we I heard get Ethan might be near Jamie. <laughs> yeah, if he wants to. We just can't pay him. But. So, yeah, there, there's creative ways that people get around getting like fish and migratory species to go through. Uh, some of them create things like ladders um, or like a stepped, uh, like a stepped barrier so that the fish can like jump up uh, multiple steps to get past. Um, people are pretty creative with that, but you don't really see that with low head dams because one, they're all old and it's not, <laughs> you know, a lot of them are getting destroyed. There's not money for it. It's not like, we're blocking some like major fishing industry like 
like salmon or anything yeah. like that. Nobody cares about small old infrastructure. It just no, exists no. and crumbles away. <laughs> yeah. Seems to be a you know running theme. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and a lot of different things. I was mentioning the, right? the, oil, the oil wells earlier, so this is a little off topic. But like last uh, last fall, I want to say, oh, sometime during my last year at school there, there was like an explosion in Colorado somewhere because there was like an old methane leaf line from a well that was like 40 years old and nobody knew it was there and they were making a housing development and someone just like dug into it or something with a oh, backhoe or whatever there's just like infrastructure that had no idea existed there because the well was so old that it was lost to time and at some point some real estate company bought this plot of land to develop that kind of stuff big problem in all kinds of different engineering disciplines yeah that sounds not good no yeah <laughs> jeez Seems like they could have used uh, Rody's firm to check. Oh, right. I mean, if there is a company somewhere to hold accountable, but I'm sure they don't exist anymore. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just thinking about all that stuff, like infrastructure. And <laughs> oh, that'd be yeah. America's so poorly neglected our infrastructure. It's it's actually remarkable <laughs> how right. bad it is in certain places. Do you guys remember the? Uh, sorry to get off topic again. Do you guys remember in like? 2005 or something like that there was that bridge that collapsed it collapsed in minneapolis yeah i had a friend who uh, lived in minneapolis at the time and freaked yeah. out i do not remember that yeah i think i think kirsten drives over that every single day when she goes to work. oh really <laughs> it's like you safe Yo, minneapolis has the worst luck with collapsing structures what the fuck because yeah, <laughs> their oh, stadium man. roof collapsed or I, something i forgot about that yeah <laughs> Have uh, have either of you guys ever driven through St. Louis? Yeah. One of the bridges no. that go over the river there, I hate so much. It is, like, so old and so narrow, and it just, like, gives me vertigo every time I drive across this because it's, like, so high over the – was that the Mississippi or the Missouri River there? I don't remember which river it is, but big river. <laughs> Very big, important <laughs> river. <laughs> I hate it's it. Mississippi. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. There are uh, the Roslyn Key Bridge here that connects uh, Ros Arlington, Virginia to Georgetown. Literally, like they have like nets under it because it's literally crumbling. It's it's so bad. Just but, in case it collapses, we can catch it. Yeah, in the net. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And they just uh, replaced the Memorial Bridge, which connects basically Arlington Cemetery to the Lincoln Memorial across the river. They literally just had to replace the whole bridge over the last couple of years. So, yeah. uh, I bet that's hard because that people get pissed. Like, oh, why are you doing construction on the bridge? Like, uh. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, like the so roads just die. exist in perpetuity. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, but, um, anyway, rivers, right. dams. Yeah, rivers, <laughs> dams. So, yeah, so the, they were, <laughs> as I was saying, um, yeah, so it can be a barrier to fish and other organisms that are trying to migrate and spread their uh spread their populations um and then also like i mentioned earlier they're very popular uh with fishermen because it shifts the river from a river-like system uh almost to one that's similar to a lake or a pond um and the dam the way it works is the dam blocks the passages of both uh the water and sediments and so you get these really deep reservoirs that can be multiple times uh deep what the natural reach of the river is and so obviously we see or obviously uh what we get from that is a shift in the community from 
the the more natural uh, fish and algae and macroinvertebrates uh, from the river lake system to uh, one that's more like a lake. And so this has a few issues that arise from this is uh, that you have a negative impact on the biodiversity and the population densities in the river. Um, so you have lower variability in habitat. So in a natural river, you have three main uh, habitat types. You have riffles, which are like the rocky substrate where like you get the rough water. And then you have runs, which are like that smoother water that's moving kind of quickly, slightly smaller sediment size, smoother water flow. And then you have the pools, which are like slow moving water, deep, deeper areas where like those bigger fish might exist. Um, but you don't get that when you have that dam those dams in the river. Like you still get some of it, but it disrupts that flow and it can take out certain uh, certain things that might flow down the rivers, like logs, big rocks, medium-sized rocks that could be used by habitat uh, for certain animals or certain organisms. Um, so you're really getting kind of a, a homogenous bottom and the bottom of the river is really what kind of determines how diverse that river is going to be. Um, so yeah, it just, it kind of really messes everything up. Um, one of the things, other things I talked about earlier was the fact that a lot of places use them for, uh, keeping the water level high. And when the water level is, uh, when you don't let like a river run dry or like the water level to go up and down, um, you decrease the, like the pulses of water availability. And when you have those pulses of water availability, dry seasons, wet seasons, um, that can also promote biodiversity within the river. So it's kind of just driving everything down uh, when you think about all the metrics for like what a healthy system is. So um, are you saying that human beings would totally disrupt a natural ecosystem for our own personal gains? You know, I, that, might, that might be what I'm saying. Oh, <laughs> I don't believe it. <laughs> Never seen it. <laughs> never never heard of it <laughs> yeah that sounds like, yeah, has, so. like uh so this maybe is <laughs> more off topic but um i think geomorphology is really interesting although i haven't really done very much in that area mm -hmm. like outside of maybe like touching on it in class a few different times or whatever um it seems like it'd have like a huge like geomorphological impact is there is there like yeah. just to their to the area is there like a lot of like remote sensing research into this and that kind of stuff. Um, trying to maybe like track and find dams and that kind of thing. Or does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah. Well, so <laughs> this is getting further into the weeds, but like, so one of the things that I know some people at least are doing right now. So uh, in geothermal, for example, um, a lot of the big geothermal systems have uh, surface manifestations in the form of like different hot springs and stuff but people don't always know like not, not every hot spring is even like super hot or people know where it is. Cause it's not like a recreational thing or whatever. And so that kind of something people are doing now is like training these data sets on known like heat anomalies and looking at the, like, like trying to identify areas with uh, surface manifestations of potential heat flow underground. And so I'm wondering, like you're talking about it, like there's these dams everywhere and maybe we don't know where they all are. If people are, trying to kind of create a database of what they know these areas look like and identifying more that can be removed then or something. That'd be really cool. I don't know if it's happening. <laughs> I don't know. There you go. 
Very specific thing, but uh, you, you got me thinking about it. Hey, I'll use it as a chapter in my PhD. Yeah, uh, write, write a write a proposal for it and go go do research for five years and get back to me. <laughs> Let's do it. Some of the effects of of dams. Um, one of the other things they didn't touch on that I don't have the greatest background in, but it can affect like the nutrient flow uh, through the river, which you know nutrients kind of drive everything. You know. You look at Northeast Ohio or Northwest Ohio, uh, nutrients are driving those big algal blooms that keep happening in, uh, in Lake Erie. So um, mm. I don't want to speak too much on it because I don't understand it well. Um, but I know that's another area that's definitely of concern. So, yeah, um, you know, it's, it's not a ton of different effects that we have, but, you know, they're pretty widespread. And they're, the dams are pretty spread throughout the United States. Um, you know, one of the one of the projects we're working on, that was only one of seven dams in a very short stretch of the river, and they're yeah. all like all constructed. So you know, that effect can just compound and compound and compound. So and is then, there like is there like aggregate effects for like a region or something like that? Um, Does it compound I mean, to that extent? I mean, probably, but I don't want to guess i'm not 100 yeah. percent sure i haven't seen anything about it um usually all the research that i've seen is focused on like one dam they it's not usually a let's look at all of them but i mean oh, okay. but it is interesting because the, the dam you think that it would just affect downstream but it also has consequences for the upstream because it's slowing down that flow of the the, the river directly upstream of it and so things get pushed back things are impeded the landscape changes yeah. within the river so a little roundabout answer for you yeah so yeah it's insane that those little like i mean i've seen the one in like chagrin falls a thousand times didn't know it was mm -hmm. just fucking shit up you know oh yeah oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> these little environmental <laughs> monsters just hanging out yeah here. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah it's uh We've been seeing increased, oh, I don't want to say increased rates because I'm not sure on the numbers of it, but overall, you know, people are saying like, hey, we should probably start getting rid of these things. But, you know, I think one of the big things that needs to be done and has been, people have been doing it. Um, I think more work can be done is, you know, understanding what happens when we remove the dams. Um, yeah. And so what we really see is like a reversal of what I've been talking about. So you get a restoration of that connectivity of the river so like your fish or whatever kind of fish you have that needs to move up, up and downstream, obviously not a big wall there. It can go back and forth as it pleases. Um, and then it also washes out, you, you know, you remove the dam, it washes out those pond like areas. And so you get all that water and sediment that's tracked behind it and it rushes down, <coughs> excuse me. And it rushes down the, like the river. Um, and so <laughs> Funnily enough, uh, this is one of the causes of concern for removing the dams, because when you have a bunch of water and a bunch of sediment that is backed up, and then suddenly you kind of let it go, it creates mm -hmm. water that's super, super turbid. And, you know, just like if there's smoke outside in the air and you can't breathe, that can affect what's living in the, like in the river. And uh, some studies have shown that in the short term, actually, biodiversity and population density and a bunch of like water quality and all those metrics dip for what the short term. 
So uh, usually it could be up to like a, I think a period of, they've shown that uh, the river's still recovering for up to 10 years or something like that. So like Thanos. Yeah, I was just right? going to say, it sounds like you're like Thanos snapping the river. <laughs> just killing everything. Like, yeah, no, it's, it's basically like sacrifice the, sacrifice the community now for the community later. So I like it. Right? For the greater good. Give you a uh, new perspective on the villain, huh? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Thanos did nothing wrong. But <laughs> Except he had the reality stone. Why didn't he just make a new reality? Yeah, I don't there understand. There were enough that. resources. I'm just saying, give people sense. more resources. Like, that's all That's all you need to do. That would Double go the against, size of the universe. That would go yeah. against the teachings of Thanos, Jesus. That is. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> anyway, so yeah, so like you sacrifice in the short term, but some of the more long-term studies do show that once the river does recover, you do have increases in biodiversity, like population of different animals and stuff like that. So... Yes, some bad things happen in the short term, but in the long term, for the most part, what we've been seeing is that you know it has a pretty positive effect. So um, that's kind of the one of the gaps in knowledge, though, is that a lot of the research that's been done so far um, looks at small snapshots. So like they'll do like one or two years of sampling, or they'll do one or two years while the dam's in place, then like three years after. And that's, I mean, it's a big commitment for a researcher. Five years is a long time spent on a project, but, um, you know, some of those other studies have shown that, you know, that river, because of that dam removal, can be changing and recovering for a decade. So there's definitely some effects that I think are missing. And, you know, some people might be working on that research now that I don't know about, but, you know, like everything else in science, having a, a wider, stronger pool of evidence is really key to really know what you're talking about and not just doing guesswork. So, you know, I think that's something that really needs to be done more moving forward. And a little bit of a dream project of mine would be doing something like that is really having just long-term data for after both before and after a dam removal. Um, but, you know, long-term projects are very difficult to fund. It's hard to find money for them. So, um, you know, that's, it's a little bit of a, people want to do stuff like this, but sometimes it's really difficult to actually have the resources to do something like that. So, yeah. yeah. Um, one of the other things that I think is missing, and I'm not sure how we get that data, is that a lot of studies have shown, or a lot of the studies that have been done are, they'll take a few years of data from before the dam's removed, and then they study the dam after it's removed, you know, a couple years, could be 10, 20 years. But when the, a lot of these dams were put in, they didn't take like any of the metrics before they put the dam in. So we can know, we can like infer from like other rivers and what we know like about ecology as to what it should look like when it's recovered. But there's, I don't know if there ever has been or at least not to my knowledge, it's never been like a one-to-one, -one, like, this is what we know the river looked like before the dam went in. This is the effect of the dam on that river. And then this is how it recovered and went back to the natural state. If that, if that makes sense, like, there's no yeah. linear, uh, there haven't really been any linear studies of it. And I think that could be super valuable. And obviously that's something that would take decades uh, yeah. to actually track. 
Um, and to my knowledge, it's not happening. And I think it's something difficult because these dams really aren't being put in anymore. So it might be something that we're never able to do. But, you know, making sure we have that kind of data would be really cool and really instrumental in making sure that we're saying we're recovering this river to pre-dam, but like, do we actually know if it's like that or if it's just as good as it's going to get after the dam's removed? So, yeah, it's uh, some but really interesting I, research that could be done. Yeah, but um, at the same time, as long as it's an improvement, right? Yeah, exactly. So that's like, you know, like I don't know a ton about, you know, business or anything like that, but like cost-benefit analysis, you can't kill yourself over trying to make sure it's like absolutely perfect when yeah. the research is the research and you have the resources that you have, and, you know, expending too many resources in one direction might not give you any extra information or data. So, you know. Yeah. It sounds like almost, yeah, you have to have that attitude in a lot of biology type stuff. I mean, right. I mean, what, like, yeah, uh, I don't know what you call people that try to prevent, uh, species from going extinct but obviously just like any rebound of the species population is when it's like well we can't really worry about what the population used to look like right now so we just have to make sure exactly yeah. exactly it's actually really funny there's a this is completely off topic from rivers but uh there is a group of like environmental researchers that argue that one of the <laughs> one of the best things we can do is just let pandas go extinct because really? they're taking a, they're taking a lot of resources to try to save, and I, I'm not saying I promote this idea or anything. I don't have R it. Rudy hates pandas. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, uh, there's there's like a a group of people that argue that we're spending so much time and so much money that can be dedicated towards other environmental causes that would like be much more widespread. People. Yes. And, yeah, how how do you? I mean, I'm with uh, you, James. So how do you, how do you like um? quantify the value of something like a panda that's like a poster child animal that gets people excited right. about yeah and i don't know that <laughs> and i like i think that's a really interesting conversation to have because sure you could put it in dollars and cents but also like the panda like it is the it's the poster child for the wwf so like for the world really? fun yeah, oh, well, yeah. Sorry. So it's like it's they're, they're <laughs> not, different not the world, <laughs> not the John Cena walking out with the panda. Sean <laughs> Michaels just speech and music's a panda, um, but I, I'm pretty sure it's the the logo of the World Wildlife Fund is uh, is a panda. So those symbols can be super important. Like, so you're saying we, have, we should saw, save the no. pandas as a marketing expense? Is what you're saying. <laughs> Write it I'm, off not making, I'm not making an <laughs> argument one way or the other. But. Which I saw something like this on Twitter the other day. No, it's like serious though. Uh, so the, the, the uh, Washington football team that shall not be named, they're looking at different logo options, right? And there's a couple different ones that are really popular. And I don't know how valid this is. I don't know where the analysis came from or whatever. But I saw it would just have like an insane effect on the conservation effort to save the North American Red Wolf if they ended up going with the Red Wolves name. And it's it's like, like, yeah, that's, I, I don't have like facts or figures or anything like that. <laughs> that's like a really like, like for wildlife, having those images out there can yeah. like do a lot. Like, like public perception of different animals, um, like wolves don't really actually hurt anybody. Like I live up in Minnesota now and Kirsten tells me about this all the time because 
she loves talking about it. But wolves, like the public perception of them, tells us how successful we are, and is one of the factors in how successful we are with uh, conserving uh, their habitat and stuff like that. Look at that bangle cat. My, my little fat cat, Elmer's. Uh, <laughs> he is. He's one to be a guest star. But uh, but yeah. So <laughs> yeah, the, the the pandas did like make me like talking about that. Like, because funding is an issue for. I'm not saying pull pull the panda funding or anything, but like funding is a, a really no, it's time really you big. Gotta, you gotta pull the plug on that species. <laughs> yeah, let them go. It's fine. <laughs> but yeah, so like funding is like a, a issue with long term monitoring projects. Like my grad school advisors, they uh their big project is a long-term monitoring site and they're constantly worried about getting their funding pulled because some people don't see the value of it even though they like when it comes to environmental data probably some of the most probably some of the most important data that we're collecting not saying that like my advisor specifically but just in general you know we uh like an example of that i have is just like within my project you can't just take like a couple samples and say hey this is what it's like because we have four years of data from the site and one year there was like a massive flooding event. It was, I think it was 2015. I don't know if you guys remember, but it just rained a bunch like in the summer. might've been 2016. It rained a ton. And so what that does in the river is it scours the bottom. And so you just have like a washout and then you have, there's only like a few like organisms that can take advantage of that and really recover quickly. So all of our samples from that year really just show hey there was a flooding event so like having like having (laughs) yes like four years of data sounds great but then you look at it on a percentage wise 25 percent of our data is from a year that had a big flooding event so 10 years that's still 10 percent of your data so like something small like that can skew and obviously it's a natural event that's going to happen but like knowing where those like peaks and valleys and like fluctuation within your data yeah it's just it's just super important and it's i mean i know like people in the like ecological research understand that but you know it's it's something that like on a personal level i wish was funded a little bit more and i know every, i mean everyone in science wishes their, their stuff was funded a bit more. <laughs> I I had more money. <laughs> we could start we could start with my master's degree yeah. right hey we get we get the patreon popping hey you, <laughs> you know what I don't think no matter how successful this gets, we could ever fund anything meaningful scientific, which is very sad. <laughs> Probably not. It's so expensive. Well. It's so expensive. It's crazy. <laughs> it can maybe could fund like dominoes every other week. And then, yeah, it's, it's funding your spirit. I guess. There is a, well, I guess that's uh, the exception and not the rule, but you could get a quarter of a billion dollars from for licensing your podcast, I guess, for three years. Yeah. Damn, very rare. I know that. <laughs> yeah, Joe Rogan Spotify deal. Ah, but, yeah, that's like the top of the top. <laughs> yeah. Exception, not the rule. <laughs> yeah. After uh, sixteen hundred episodes. Yeah. Hopefully, it doesn't take us uh, eleven years to see some meaningful pay from this. But. That'd be awesome. I mean, not eleven years, just meaningful pay from it. <laughs> Uh, so do we have yeah. I feel like we're 
kind of rolling into the end here. A little, I mean, we're a little all over the place. But, yeah, sorry. We uh, <laughs> how do we? How do we want to wrap it up here? Do you got any final? Like, can people go do anything to help with this issue? Like, is it just something like maybe like throw rocks at like a city council? Do not commit uh, felony property crimes. That's the first thing I'll say. Is don't go, don't go destroy stuff. You're gonna talk but, to me about felony property <laughs> crimes? <laughs> I said it. And I was like, that one's getting edited out. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> no. But uh, I mean, if 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 it's in there, I I mean, jeez, oh, I sound like every political activist out there is. You know, I mean, if like there are concerns, and if you think that in your local community, because that's what it comes down to with the removal of these dams is you know, like local city councils and stuff uh, being the ones that decide to take them out. So, you know, if there's a local voice for taking stuff like this out, um, it's going to be driven by public interest. So that's, that's like with the Brexville dam, that's the big thing that happened is that more and more people kept saying, Hey, we want to, let's take this out. Let's get it out. Um, and it took 10 years, 10 years after, I think 10 years, I don't want to, don't quote me on that number, but it took a while for it to actually get done. And I, for a while, I thought there wasn't, uh, it wasn't going to get removed. And then like our, our study in Lima, um, back in 2014, we were told, yeah, you know, we think it's going to get done soon. And that was one of the things that prompted us to go in and start doing that research. And mm -hmm. it's been six years. And as far as we know, you know, there aren't plans to take it out anymore. So, you know, it's, it's driven by people, um, at the local level. Um, you know, I mean, there there are some reasons why people, we don't remove some of the dams, like in certain areas, maybe certain rural places. Um, some people are still using them. Obviously, out west, much, much different deal. But out west, those dams are in place for a reason and you can't just get rid of them. Like a lot of people rely on them for water. And I, as far as I understand, like, you know, those rural, some rural areas, maybe in the east, um, some of these lowhead dams might actually be used for something. So... You, know, you can't really remove those you know there's like i said earlier some people are like so, i don't know <laughs> sorry that's, oh, i was just saying so, so people shouldn't leave the podcast with the impression that all low head dams are bad because some of them no, are not all low head <laughs> yeah not all low head dams are bad you know if people are still using them for, for you know good reasons you have like the environmentalist in me is like tear them all down but like when you're talking about management, you have to, like everything else in life, you have to take stakeholder opinions and needs into account. So, yeah. So, I love yeah, that, so don't, uh, don't go destroy things. Yeah. I love that you're like the environmentalist in you. I think that's just you. That's all of you. That might just be all of me. Let's be really honest. Rody uh, wants human society to crumble <laughs> and all of us to return to nature and live our best lives in the forest. <laughs> I took the I took the anarchy of the music of like the early two thousands a little too seriously apparently, <laughs> but uh, but yeah so yeah it's you know I wouldn't mind being a forest person as long as it's not here. There's too many ticks, dude. It's gross. Oh yeah, more tick issues, huh? Yeah. So the speaking of environmental issues, I believe because of climate change, but don't quote me because you know I don't know what the hell I'm talking about but there's like too many ticks for too long up here now. And it's like killing mm. off the moose population. And it's really gross. Like they get like thousands of them attached to them. Yeah. There's too many. So they're like, used to oh, be more well. moose around here. Like, yeah, it's disgusting sounding. Yeah. 
That's I just googled rough. moose ticks climate change. Seventy percent death rate of calves over a three-year yeah. period. It's gross. Oh, it's the winter ticks. That's crazy. I knew that. Um, I've heard that like ticks in general are moving more north. Like their their range is is increasing just because things are getting warmer on average. So damn. There's more here it's, than it's, I've ever seen anywhere else in my life. I've killed like ten this summer just walking a tiller. It's insane. <laughs> That's crazy. It, it's it's very much like the thing that you always like in this field. The smallest thing you'd be like, oh yeah, ticks are getting worse. Whatever. There's so many like trickle down effects that that can have of like, oh, it's killing seventy percent of moose over a three year period. Like that's crazy. Like that's insane. Yeah, it, really. Just, <laughs> complex things, system <laughs> things cascade it's uh <laughs> that's a a thing that uh, Catastrophic. it all started with the low head dams so it's all started with the low head dams these bastards <laughs> damn them but it does like <laughs> sorry i like tried to pivot super hard back into the dams but uh yeah so one of the things that when we talked about like lack of funding for stuff like lack of funding for research yeah but also lack of funding for removing them um, is also an issue. So, like, back home, the Olentangy River has had a bunch of dams. I don't think they've removed all of them, but I know back in 2015, there was, like, hey, we really need to remove this one, and I can't remember which one it was, but the council's like, we, we don't have the money for it. We, we can't. Like, it's, it can be a, to do it responsibly, you can't just blow it up. You have to, like, you can't just stick dynamite on it and call it a day. Like, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the, the proper way to to the, remove a dam. The tyranny river. of government regulation, unbelievable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it could be like a multi-million dollar operation if it's a really big dam. So mm. you know that eats into a city budget, and then people can't do it, and then you know. But I mean, that's kind of the name of the game with everything. Is <laughs> how do we get this yeah. money? <laughs> yeah, crazy. We have so much stuff, and yet we don't have enough resources. Don't get it. I'm just yeah, saying, yeah. Thanos could have fixed that. He snapped the wrong yeah. way. Easily. Could have snapped away all these fucking little head bams, bastard. <laughs> <laughs> is, that, is that, we wrapping it up? I think so. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> I what I have, so. This is a good place to stick the landing somehow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry that we're all over the map. Uh. <laughs> no, I like that. I'm, I'm interested to, to uh, see how, how the listen is to this one. Yeah. No, I think. Uh, minor editing. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. Sorry, James. <laughs> I, think, I do. I think a lot of the the just as the systems engineer in me finds all this biology stuff really interesting because it is cool how intertwined it all is, and I've seen some cool stuff too, just in terms of like I know, the way people try to physically simulate the environment or mm -hmm. learn learn new things about biology from like physics simulations. Yeah, it's all really cool how. Inter yeah, interconnected things can be and the cool things that happen with interdisciplinary research when these kinds of like engineering business biology things all have to intersect with each other and yeah it's just very interesting yeah. stuff it's pretty cool like a lot of i know there's a lot of, a lot more like intersection between this, like engineering and enviro environmental studies like it's really been ramp i mean it's been going on for a while but it's a it's going to continue to be a very big field and yeah. probably grow as far as at least interest in it is so sustainability topic, sustainability topic every week on the winner's podcast we come back to sustainability. Absolutely. oh yeah all right that's everything i got all right we appreciate you uh giving us that damn discussion 
it's uh, it damn good to see you guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on, Rudy. Yeah, I'm so sorry. That was damn impressive. <laughs> I got a one. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. Uh, Rody, it's been a pleasure. We're very happy to talk all things dams, biology, systems of uh, ecology and whatnot with you. Uh, everybody who's listening, uh, thanks for tuning in. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, share on your favorite platform for podcast consumption. And we'll see you guys next week. No energy vampires. That's right. <laughs>